It's a busy week in independent league ball from manager hirings to goodbyes. We have Stan Island news and a great interview with the head of the Pioneer League. You don't want to miss this one on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 153 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we're ready to give you the old razzle-dazzle. The old razzle-dazzle? Yeah. Where the hell did that come from? It, uh, You know what that came from? I got, like, one of those, like, old, like, one-drive, your memory from this date thing. And I must have saved some picture from, like, the one fish from Spongebob, and it said, giving him the old razzle-dazzle. So that's been in my head the last couple of days. So I figured I'm going to use it. Why not, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I uh, I hope it landed with some people, because I'm confused <laughs> as hell. Well, that's the goal here is to confuse as many people as possible here. Okay. So Fair I, enough. That'll, that'll be the that'll be the caption for this for this week. <laughs> All right. So we now know the name of the episode: "Confusing as Hell," and that's really <laughs> going to confuse the Pioneer League too, because they're like, "Why is it? <laughs> is this directed at us?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then and then you simply don't answer them and just leave them leave them guessing keep them guessing you know what's more important than all of that what talking about Taggart because Greg yeah. Taggart is uh is kind of a well-known guy in fact one of the guys that when this news came out said he should be first ballot indie ball hall of fame and you know what <clears throat> as we're going to discuss over the next however many minutes they got a very strong case and that's because after 17 years in Gary South Shore, Indiana, as whether the Northern League or the American Association, Greg Taggart has decided to take a position with the San Francisco Giants. This is after, you know, many, many, many games and 835 and 744 record, three championships between the two leagues, two in the Northern League, one in the American Association. He's moving on to a position with the Giants. A well-earned position, no doubt, or who you ask in indie ball about him. Uh, it's almost always good things to say. Definitely a monumental figure in our little corner of the baseball world. And uh, it is something else. It is certainly something else to not see him in Gary anymore. I don't really know who's going to replace him. Don't really have many ideas as to who could replace him. But uh, certainly... A big, a big change in the indie ball landscape. Someone that's been there since 2005, been coaching in indie ball since 1995, is no longer part of the landscape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Greg Tagger has been really a mainstay, uh, both with Gary and independent and independently baseball in general. I mean, it speaks for itself that he's been with, with the Railcats for the last 17 years. He's had so much success. And I, I certainly agree that he had uh, – this is a very, very well-earned position with the San Francisco Giants uh, organization. So uh, he's going to be really hard to replace. And I think if, if Gary goes into this simply just trying to find another Greg Taggart, you're not going to be able to do it um, because he is so iconic and he is such a good manager. However, uh, I think that they, they can go trying to replace little bits and pieces of what he provided, uh, and it, it's it's a tough loss for Gary for sure. But I mean, I mean Greg Taggart has been 
just it's very very well deserved uh, for him to move into the uh, San Francisco Giants organization. The, again, the Giants organization this is now the second um, it, former indie ball manager that they have brought in to their organization as well. The Giants historically are a, are a very forward thinking franchise. Uh, it makes you wonder a little bit as far as uh, kind of the the route they're taking as far as potentially like indie ball scouting or something along those lines. But certainly Greg Taggart, an, an unbelievable manager, a guy who's had a ton of success um, and a very, very well-deserved um, move into affiliated ball. And to be honest with you, to be honest with you, Nick, I'm sure he's had these opportunities before um, to potentially go into affiliated ball. Uh, just for whatever reason, thought that now is the time to, to make that move, of course. I mean, 17 years as a manager of the team is is an absolute. It's like a, it's an eternity. So, yeah. um, so congrats to him. A lot, of just so much success. Gary and Indy Ballers uh, is is not going to be the same without him, but uh, certainly well well deserved. Definitely. I mean, he's been a guy that, like I've been, like we've both been saying, has had so much success in this level and has done so much on this level. I have to imagine it's some sort of a player development type role. I don't think at this point, after being, you know, in one place for 17 years, you'd make the decision to take a lateral move, uh, or a lateral position type thing. I gotta imagine it is more of a, a player development type thing. But even still, I, uh, it, I am very happy for him. Obviously, like you see all the former players and everyone they interact with and they were all, you know, over the moon that he got this position and everything like that. And, you know, he's, he, he creates kind of a giant hole uh, now for Gary. I mean, it's hard to replace a guy that won you over 800 games. It's it's a uh, even taller task to replace a guy that over his time managing an independent league baseball, like I said, since 1995, uh, has won over 1,200 games. You know that that's a that's a very tall task to do, and I do wonder if it uh, you know if. Uh, if they have a replacement lined up, I've seen some other signings, but I mean, that could just be, you know, a general manager signing people. That's not necessarily much, but right. You know, it, it does create kind of that vacuum. And, uh, you know, beforehand we had our, our short list of candidates, but really like the best of candidates, uh, they've kind of been taken off the market here. So I am curious to see where, uh, where things go from here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to see how Gary tries to um, tries to use this. I I find it hard to believe that uh, that this came out of nowhere for the uh, Gary organization. I'm sure that Taggart was kind of keeping them in, keeping them in the loop about um, about this potential move. So I I would be surprised if this managerial search took that long uh, for them, but. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see who they hire to replace him because you're not going to be able to completely fill the shoes that Greg Taggart uh, left in Gary. But uh, you you could you could try and do your best and try and bring in uh, as, as good of a manager as you possibly can. And you know that, that that's all you can ask for for the Railcats to do. Absolutely. I mean, there's you're never like you said you're never going to be able to find another Greg Taggart. You're never going to be able to replace that one for one. But there is an opportunity to bring in either a fresh mindset or a new mindset or someone that you hope can be there for some time. And who is to say you don't just find a guy for year one and then, you know, look elsewhere when you have more time to do a more thorough search. I mean, look at Fargo. They had to go through a handful of guys before they finally got their guy. Same thing with Milwaukee. They they were on year two, manager two. And, uh, 
that's just how it goes sometimes. So hopefully they can find a guy. I'm sure they will. But uh, definitely worthy of mentioning that uh, Greg Tigert is now with the Giants and the Railcats. Uh, well, I'm sure they're going to be retiring his number too at some point. I feel like that's a foregone conclusion. But uh, we'll wait to see when that is. And when they do that, we'll talk about that. But uh, onwards and upwards, we continue on now to talk about the Pioneer League. And the Pioneer League had some big news. And you're going to hear teasings about big news in that interview that we're going to play for you in just a couple of minutes. But before we get to that, we have to talk about this news, which is the Billings Mustangs have a new manager because they lost their other manager to the Angels organization in a player development position. But this particular manager is uh, rather experienced, I think it's fair to say. Uh, it is Jim Riggleman. You may remember him as being the manager of the Cincinnati Reds or the Washington Nationals or the Chicago Cubs or the Seattle Mariners or the San Diego Padres. You may remember him from any of his coaching stints in Major League Baseball since 1989. So now the nearly 70-year-old uh, Riggleman will be the manager of the Billings Mustangs of the Pioneer League this year. Uh, I think it's fair to say as far as all the really major names across indie ball as far as managers go he is certainly one of the more well-known names uh, across the board i mean talk about hitting an absolute home run <laughs> i mean my yeah. goodness i i didn't even know that that jim riggleman would be would be looking uh, to get into indie ball at this point in his managerial or coaching career but i mean goodness this is an an awesome awesome hire i mean jim rickleman has been around uh he's had so much success in uh, in in the major leagues i mean it says enough that he's been a manager for 17 seasons uh at, at various different stops so and not even just when he was manager but he was also third base coaches and bench coaches and um, just so experienced and so if there is a guy who knows how to build a roster how to get guys into affiliated ball, I mean, there you could make an argument that there's not many people that are better suited to do that than Jim Riggleman. So, uh, I mean, as far as the Mustangs and looking for, um, I, to be honest with you, I don't know how they pulled this off. I mean, this is insane uh, that they were able to get a guy the caliber of Jim Riggleman uh, in to manage their team. Just unbelievable. So I, I think they hit an absolute home run with this. Their fans should be ecstatic. To put it, to, I wish there was a stronger word I could use, but this is how good of a hire it is to, to, to bring in a guy like Jim Riggleman. So it is a really exciting day, not only for uh, the Billings Mustangs, but really just that community in general and the Pioneer League. I mean, the, this is a big win for the Pioneer League in general because uh, as, a, as a league still trying to establish themselves in indie ball, having a name and having a track record like Jim Riggleman behind that brand is really, really important for a team that, for a league rather, that, that is still trying to, to really make its foot, make its footprint in, into the uh, indie ball landscape. And to have a guy like Jim Riggleman there promoting that brand uh, is, is really, really important. Oh, absolutely. He, it is a coup to somehow get him on here. Like you said, I didn't even know the name was going to be on the board. But the fact that it was and they hauled him in is just all that much better. Undoubtedly from just a 
purely X's and O's perspective, he gives you an advantage. He's done this for so many years that there is an, an advantage from that. Plus, getting players in, they're going to want to play for a guy that spent how many years managing in the major leagues, spent how many seasons just in the major leagues as a coach. There's definitely wisdom to take away from that. And certainly from just a high-profile perspective, I mean, it, it definitely raises the uh, raises the bar, gets eyes on the league, and that's always a positive thing uh, whenever that's happening. And so from just that perspective alone, it's a huge win. Uh, I know I'm restating a lot of what we just said, but uh, it's certainly that. And honestly, it's probably the highest name as far as managers really go since i probably say Hell in Ear. You know, with Ottawa a couple of years back, so mm-hmm. it it definitely is a a great hire on the fronts of getting people to the ballpark, getting news generated about your league, and just from a baseball perspective, I imagine it it has to work out on some level. Um, the only area of concern is that the Pioneer League is a very forward-thinking league. They're not afraid of change. They very much embrace that. I'm not sure how much uh, adapting that's going to work for a 70-year-old manager that's been doing things a certain way for how many years. That is a, a bit of an area of concern, but, I mean, that's a minor one at the end of the day. So, uh, certainly, though, I do think it is a, a very good hire. Yeah, it is... it is. And for so many reasons, it is such a uh, such a big hire for for the Pioneer League and for Billings. And I mean, you would have to think that Billings, with with Jim Riggleman running the show, you would have to think they're going to be good. It's hard to it's hard to think that a a team with Jim Riggleman as your manager in in the Pioneer League is not going to be good. So definitely super exciting news for Billings and the and the and the Pioneer League getting more eyes on the league itself. And again. For guys who are getting into the Pioneer League, trying to get back to affiliated baseball, or trying to get into affiliated baseball to begin with, uh, guys who have not had the any experience in the lower minors, Jim Riggleman knows what it takes, and so learning from him is uh, is a really really big step, and uh, the players and everyone else should be really excited about that. Definitely. And we're certainly going to do our part to help promote the Pioneer League and get some eyes and attention on it here because now we're going to shift focus and go to that interview that you probably saw on the title card. And if you didn't see that, you've heard us teasing it for a couple of weeks now. Uh, we are now going to be switching over to our interview with the president of the Pioneer League, Mike Shapiro. Uh, anything we want to say before going into the interview? It's a little lengthy. I think it's about 50 or so minutes long. So, um, you're going to have that to look forward to. It's a longer episode this week, which I know a lot of people like. But anything to say about the interview before we go into it? To be honest with you, uh, even though I, I wasn't uh, part of the interview that was that was conducted, I, it was probably one of my favorite interviews because Mike, Mike Shapiro really dives into uh, the behind the scenes of the Pioneer League. And, of course, that it's a really different kind of uh, transition that he had uh, that the Pioneer League had in general into indie ball, um, just because it was an entire league that's moving from from affiliated baseball to in, from independent to independent league baseball. So he g- gives a lot of great insight and the adjustment for the teams, the uh, the fans, the players. Uh, it, it's just a, a really good interview, and I'm excited for for people to hear it. Yeah, definitely, you can tell this guy is a guy that really does care about baseball. He's a baseball fan. We talk a little bit outside of Pioneer League uh, perspective uh, and go a little bit into his history outside of that. But 
by and large, it is a Pioneer League-focused episode, and he, he just is he's a real nice guy. I very much enjoyed talking to him, and, and I hope you guys enjoyed the interview as much as Will's enjoyed the interview. Uh, you're going to get to hear it now. Uh, we go to our interview with the president of the Pioneer League, Mike Shapiro. All right, we are back again this week with another interview in our interview series. And this week, we continue a trend of bringing on some of the highest ranking individuals in each of the independent <coughs> partner leagues. And this week, we have a treat for you. You've wanted us to talk to the Pioneer League and talk more about the Pioneer League. So we figured we bring the president of the Pioneer League on, uh, Mike Shapiro. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great, Nick. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And I suppose we could get going here by uh, doing something a little bit obvious here, which is just talking about the modern Pioneer League and what the modern Pioneer League is, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening that know about the Pioneer League. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out by where I'm from in, on the East Coast that are somewhat familiar and know it as an affiliated league. And obviously now uh, they are independent as of last year. Right. So, so the, you know, the Pioneer League um, began in, in 1939, which I, I don't consider part of the modern yeah. Pioneer yeah. by any means. Oh. And, in, and, and it has had a, a really storied history and some really remarkable things. Have, and, and listen, great players have all come out of the Pioneer League over the years. Uh, Frank Robinson played in this league. Um, many, many great players. Amula sort of managed in this league. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's got a, a rich and storied past um, and and has, by, by and large, um, but for a few uh, intermissions as an um, independent league over the, its history, it has largely been an affiliated league. Um, with, you know, as many, many, uh, major league clubs having, um, player development contracts with, with, uh, pioneer league clubs. However, um, in, in 1920, see, I'm already <laughs> dating myself. In, uh, yeah. in 2020, um, as we all know, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the concept of, um, the minor league structure was changed by MLB. They um, they brought in all the minor league clubs um, under their umbrella, which of course left um, several leagues out in the cold. And unfortunately, the Pioneer League was one of those leagues that did not come in under the umbrella. But in 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 baseball's um, thinking, they have um, tried to figure out ways to expand um, its relationships with um, minor leagues, even if they are no longer affiliated, by creating this partner league concept. And so, um, you know, in 2021, the league started out as an independent league, but again, as an MLB partner league. And, and as a result, um, I think some, some really interesting things were learned. Um, first off, um, it was a better product on the field, um, which is almost counterintuitive because you'd think, well, you know, you're getting these um, independent league players that either haven't been drafted or were drafted and released for one reason or another. How could that be a better product on the field than these drafted uh, prospects? And the fact of the matter is, um, <clears throat> what is, should have been obvious all along was, now listen, MLB clubs um, put their, their prospects in leagues like the Pioneer League 
for them to develop and and not with the idea in mind of them being all that uh, competitive or 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 you know uh, striving to win a championship and um, and as a result, I think fans throughout the Pioneer League were intrigued by the fact that these were future prospects, but I think let down a little bit in that winning was not one of the, the highest priorities. <clears throat> well, last year we found out that the fans were more engaged. In fact, we, we broke an attendance record last year, which is remarkable considering every other <laughs> professional league uh, uh, lost attendance. Um, but one of the reasons we think fans uh, really flocked to our games was because the game was the players and the, and the product on the field was so much better because now all of a sudden uh, the pioneer league clubs individually were able to recruit their own players and go out and try and get the best available players they could. And therefore um, tried to be um, a, a lot more, competitive on the field yeah that's one thing that me and will always kind of hit on it's a lot of people don't understand how competitive and the prioritizing of winning is in independent leagues because you just kind of you know like you said the immediate reaction is oh well they're not in part of a major league system so that must mean they're they're marked off somehow but in reality it's just they for whatever reason they've wound up wound up where they are and it is winning and it does bring me to another question i had which was how would you thought the the clubs and the fan bases in particular have taken to indie ball because i do remember at the end of the regular season the playoff season uh last year we were looking through the attendance of each leagues and we said wow the pioneer league drew very well surprisingly well for us because we we didn't know what much to expect from it and when we saw like the high number of uh, attendance we were very surprised about that. So I'm just kind of wondering how you think these communities and clubs have, have taken to independent ball going from affiliated ball. Well, I, th- I think on, on behalf of the fans, um, it was a distinction without a difference. I don't think they cared. Yeah. Um, it, it, you listen, f- folks go to a, a minor league game, particularly you know at the level of the Pioneer League, which yeah. is a developmental league. They go out for a fun night out and they, you know, with their family and their friends and they, they want to, you know, have yeah. a hot dog and a beer and and get get a few hours of entertainment and they don't care if these are uh, uh you know signed and uh, affiliated players or if they're independent players it doesn't make any difference the yeah. the idea of a, a fun night out isn't impacted by who signs their contract or 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 for that matter who signs their paycheck so i think that um is one myth that was dispelled with yeah. respect to the clubs yeah, there's obviously an economic difference, and the economic yeah. differences now, all of a sudden, <clears throat> their their budgets are uh, increased by the the cost of player and coach salaries that they didn't have to pay for in the past. However, on the other hand, now they are untethered uh, from a major league club, have the freedom to sign whomever they wish within the scope of the. Um, restrictions that the league has, both within, with, in terms of um, experience limitations and and salary limitations. But now all of a sudden, these guys who you know, listen, uh, th- there's a myth about minor league baseball, and that is they think the general manager has some say over what goes on on the field. Well, the truth of the matter is, a general manager in affiliated baseball is just a business manager. Yeah. It's not. They have nothing to do with, with signing players or 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 or, or um, you know bringing in new players. 
the player part is all handled by the major league club. Now, all of a sudden, though, as an independent league, these general managers and owners, for that matter, are all in the scouting and, and, and player procurement business. And I think a lot of them found that that was really a great nuance and a great opportunity for them to to become real baseball people and not just running a business that happens to produce baseball. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that every owner would say the same thing, that it replaces the economic benefit of having a major league play, team play for the players, but a lot of our owners, I think, felt like this gave them something new and exciting uh, as part of their ownership uh, of a minor league club. And certainly having the the <laughs> restrictions or some of the restrictions put on by the coming from up top and the parent organizations, those removed, I imagine, also does kind of help you, as you said, make that night out a little bit more memorable or more enjoyable, too, because where promotions before may have been frowned upon by uh, whomever the parent club may be, now all of a sudden you're not really answering to them even though there are naturally uh, a lot more challenges like you like you mentioned. But uh, I do also want to kind of touch on there. You mentioned the experience uh, caps and the, the salary cap, and I'm just kind of wondering, does that mean the Pioneer League? And I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I just want to make sure of it. It tailors to more of a younger player, kind of like a, a Frontier League would do, where it's like that kind of, <laughs> that kind of uh, 25 and younger type demographic, perhaps. Well, our, our um, limitations are not age-restricted, yeah. uh, but they're experience-restricted. So um, a player cannot qualify to, the pl in, to play in the Pioneer League if they have more than three years of professional experience. Okay. So as a result, yes, we are a development league. We get much younger players, and we like that. That's a niche in the baseball universe that we really appreciate and, and enjoy because – we're, we're giving a lot of these players um, a, a chance who are, you know, they're younger. They may have had some professional experience, but basically we're really helping them out uh, by giving them a new opportunity uh, to, to give an opportunity, you know, to, to put up some numbers and to give them the chance to get signed by major league clubs. Yep, certainly. And so I do want to kind of go off of that because the Pioneer League, obviously, formerly being affiliated and a lot of people that are still associate with it do have uh, either some connections to major league baseball teams or experience dealing with those parent clubs so i do wonder if you think that kind of almost gives the league a little bit of a, a leverage boost when trying to get these guys either back to or into affiliated ball for the first time because every other league well yes they have some clubs that were affiliated and now are de-affiliated their whole genesis their roots are being an independent league being independent teams so mm -hmm. that's that's something that is unique to the Pioneer League, and I do wonder if that gives you guys a, a little bit of an advantage, even if it is very subtle. It, it does give an advantage in that there are relationships that have been formed over the years with with a number of the major league clubs. Um, on the other hand, um, if you look at the numbers, um, yeah. the Atlantic League, the American Association, the, even to that some extent the Frontier League, all all had uh, more players from their rosters sign contracts with major league clubs than did the Pioneer League. And that's solely a function of where the demand for the supply came from. And the demand for older players is to fill holes. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you're in the 
uh, Atlantic League, for example, and you've had, you know, a pretty good career. You may have had a cup of coffee up in the big leagues. You may have had a chance to play, you know, in high minors. Yeah. Um, but you're an independent ball, um, and there's a whole – somebody gets injured, um, somebody underperforms. There's a hole on a major league 40-man roster, for example. They're going to plug it with the more experienced players because it's, it's, it's stopgap. In our case, with much younger players, these are guys who are at the early stages of the developmental ladder. And as a result, um, it's, it's, it's a greater investment that a major league club has to put into one of these players, um, and, and nurse them, um, up, up the ladder and over more time with greater investment. So we signed two major league clubs. Somewhere around 20 players last year. I think it was 18 or something like that. And the other leagues all signed maybe, you know, 60 or more players, uh, out of their rosters. But again, the difference is it's because our players are so much younger. Yeah. But even still, I mean, 18 is still a very impressive number for a league that's in its first year. And like you mentioned, having a younger player or a less experienced player, rather. Uh, it, it certainly is still impressive. And so on that note, I do want to go to two of the, I suppose, newer teams in Glacier Run and Northern Colorado joining because they both have brand new ballparks that are being built. Both are coming into the league for the first time as a, uh, an independent league or partner league. And so I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it means to add a, a Glacier Run to the fold and have uh, the Owls return uh, for this year. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about the fact that our league is just, ex- it's expanding from eight to 10 teams, which is nothing, um, but a real benefit to everybody because now there are more communities that get to enjoy the Pioneer League and it's better for the existing clubs to have, you know, more teams to play and we can therefore start working on reducing, um, tr- their travel expenses and the wear and tear on our players who previously had to maybe go 13, 14 hour bus rides as romantic as that might seem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now, uh, now we're all, all of our trips, but for a very few are under 10 hours. So we were able to do that because we, we expanded, but beyond just, just the numbers, um, what it gives us is the opportunity to add two new markets to the league to really enhance the value of the league and and the uh, the opportunity for many many more people to access um, what are, are the great products that we put on the field. Um, the 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 Flathead Valley, Whitefish, Kalispell area in northern Montana. Uh, um, the club is owned by uh, the Kelly family, um, who who I've known. <clears throat> you know, it's really weird. We we were talking to uh, the, uh, Marty Kelly, who is the father, and I were. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were having a conversation well along after they'd acquired the, the franchise rights and already in the process of building their their new ballpark, which looks really exciting. We were having a conversation, and it turned out um, that uh, back in uh, now I'm going to again date myself, but back in 1993, just by a weird set of circumstances, Marty Kelly and I were teammates on the same semi-pro team back in Atlanta, which is really a strange circumstance but again it's all about bringing good baseball people back into uh, the league and and uh, we can't be more excited about the ballpark they're they're building on their own privately developed and and it's and it looks like it's going to be just a huge asset 
for that part of the country. With respect to the Owls, who had been in the league previously out of Orem and um, took last year off while they were building this new, unbelievable, incredible complex in just outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, which is going to have multi-sport fields for kids. Um, travel teams are going to come for tournaments. There's going to be leagues. There's there's something like, I think, 24 playing fields, uh, an air-supported dome, um, two hotels, dormitories, a collegiate field, and a oh. professional stadium, all in this one incredible complex called Future Legends. And anybody who's listening should go to futurelegends.com and take a look at the scope of this project. It's, it's absolutely remarkable um, being quarterback and, and owned by a really amazing guy named Jeff Katowski, who, um, who is doing just an amazing work uh, by, you know, getting this online and ready for this, this upcoming season. And, and again, th- this is a, a, just a whole different uh, economic model because if you think about it with all of the youth sports that are going to be going on in the complex throughout the summer, well, throughout the year for that matter, but, but principally through the summer, that means he's going to have on site about 2,000 people every night who have nothing better to do than maybe come to an Owls game. So he's going to have a really great opportunity to access um, not only the folks on site, but the, the local community, which if, if you take Fort Collins and the metropolitan area, you know, that's about 150,000 person market. And that's, that's pretty good size for, for a minor league club. Certainly is. I mean, in both cases, it sounds like they're going to be tremendous community assets, especially with that future legends project where you have uh, so many different, uh, different available options in that whole complex. And then like you mentioned, the huge population base that's going to be on hand uh, certainly is a, is a huge plus for any club, but I do want to touch on one thing you mentioned, which is there's a lot of long bus trips here. So I was just kind of wondering where some of the more behind the scene challenges of having a league that's as far apart and spread apart as the Pioneer League is, because you do serve a lot of communities in Montana, Idaho, uh, Utah, Colorado, that general region of the country. And when a lot of us think of independent league baseball, we think of more kind of cluster areas, like four teams around Chicago, three or four teams within an hour of New York. You know, these kind of cluster areas and and that's certainly not the case here and i while it is certainly a unique point and something that is charming about the league it i imagine it does present other challenges as well well it's it's only charming if you're not on that bus yeah. in the 13th hour yeah um no i you asked about the challenges and i asked a great question um sure the the bus trips are a challenge and and um that is actually reflected in the other great challenge, and that is putting a schedule together that you know can accommodate these distances. But when you have a tenth, when you have ten teams, it's made <coughs> excuse me a little bit easier. But our hope is to by twenty four to expand to twelve teams, and then you can have three four team divisions as opposed to two five team divisions that are still pretty geographically disparate so i think we are on the right track to solving those those key challenges that we have but um you know i i I think that um we're we're well on our way as i said we've only got if i recall two or three 
uh, bus trips uh, that are over 10 hours. Everything else is under 10 hours. We figured that's kind of everyone's breaking point. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so as a result, I, I, I think the, the league is really doing some, some incredible things. If you, if you look at the new facilities that are coming online, um, renovations in Grand Junction, you know, they, they're putting $9 million into the ballpark in Grand Junction. Um, a, a number of the other facilities are getting renovations. And so our, our ballparks are going, uh, uh, going to be better and better every year. Um, we're doing better for the players by reducing the bus trips. We're making more manageable schedules. And, and again, I think if you're inside the industry, and particularly if you're a, a player looking for a job in the industry, um, the Pioneer League stands out for one other really important factor, and that is we pay, you know, we follow the Saving America's Pastime Act um, by paying minimum wage uh, to our players. Okay. And so, and while we are in four different states and there's different minimum wages, our salary cap is tied to the highest minimum wage, which is Colorado, uh, of all of our states. And so as a consequence, our players are paid better on average than our players in the Frontier League, for example, or the American Association. So we're getting better and better players if for no other reason than, than we're paying more. Yeah, no, that, that is great to hear because I know that's a, a common, uh, a common complaint I've heard among players is, you know, the pay is one of those areas that was very, uh, very concerning to them. And in, in the instance of certain traveling teams, I've heard as well that there was issue just getting paid among some traveling teams. But, uh, that's a, yeah. that's a whole nother issue for another time and another discussion. But, um, it is certainly very interesting here and hearing that nine million dollars is going into a stadium in uh, in Grand Junction is very encouraging to see that you have ownership that truly does care about the product that they're putting out there for their fans, not just on the field, but the overall experience in the ballpark. That, that is great to great to hear there. And so uh, as far as that goes, I am kind of curious as to what's the, the long term outlook of the Pioneer League uh, going forward. I, I'm not going to ask something stupid like at 10 years from now because it's hard to even predict uh, two years from now. So just like what is what's the plan for next year? What are some of the, the newer changes? Because I know this year we saw a new extra inning rule, which I'm going to be excited to ask about in a moment. But just for 2022, what are some of the more exciting things we could expect to see from the league? Well, um, I, I can talk about some of the things we've already announced, and I'm, um, um, I'm hoping to come back and rejoin you for another discussion after we announce a few other things, but I certainly don't want to let the cat out of the bag prematurely. But uh, w what we've already announced uh, are some really incredible things. So one of my key priorities has been to try to um, address some of the concerns that other leagues are having and maybe not addressing as well with respect to the diversity among uh, uh, their their staffs and their coaching. Um, and, you know, if you'll note, we, we recently, the, uh, the, Grand, the Northern Colorado Club uh, recently announced that the president um, of the club is a, a, a Latina woman, um, uh, first in, in professional baseball, uh, who's the president of a club. Um, and uh, her name is Rosie Aguilera, a dear old friend of mine who is sort of like a, a daughter to me. And I'm so proud of her for getting um, that job. And, and it's great for 
not only just for 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 the league, but for women um, in general and 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 Latin women at that. Um, so that's one really incredible thing for the league, and and I'm so proud of her. Um, I I think to uh, the 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 league office has um, uh, com- is completely uh, diverse. We have um, um, a, 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 a Hispanic man. We have a, a, an African American man. We have a woman in the, the front office. We we are trying to to make sure that there is a uh, culture of inclusion in the league. And we start with the league office and club to club to club. We are working very hard uh, to increase the diversity of of people who are uh, playing, coaching, and working in this league. So that's one big area. The second big area. Uh, that we announced is, uh, the, in historic terms, uh, the first professional baseball league ever to be, to be sponsored. The whole league, uh, our league is now been sponsored with our terrific partners, um, at Ticket Smarter. Um, and, uh, it is now actually the Pioneer League presented by Ticket Smarter. And, 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 you know, their CEO, a guy named Jeff Good, Goodman, who's an absolutely terrific guy, totally has his heart in the right place. Um, they do a, a, a lot of great cause-based marketing. They donate uh, to St. Jude's and to the, the Jimmy V Foundation. Um, they do a lot for uh, uh, childhood diseases. And, and I couldn't imagine a better partner for this league uh, you know, to, to help the brand image of the Pioneer League um, and, and to make you know, our ticketing systems more efficient, um, and and um, and again, um, it's never been done before. So we we are a sponsored league. Um, some of the other things that we're looking at, and that going forward we'll, we'll be we'll be talking more about publicly, are um, a, a complete digital transformation. Um, as you know, um, you know sports leagues generally, uh, and particularly minor league sports leagues um are a little slow um at at the learning curve for um new technologies um we are in 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 short order going to be announcing um, a complete digital transformation of the pioneer league that we believe is going to be revolutionary and and really incredible not not only for fans in attendance but fans all over the country and the world for that matter who will will be able to not only access the streaming of games, but also other um, pioneer league related content that we are going to be able to produ- produce through our own channels of distribution. Um, so that's you know really exciting, taking us to the next level. We also announced, and I think this is great for those in the audience who may themselves be um, uh, interested in playing independent league ball or may know people introduced who, who, who may want to play independent ball. Uh, we've introduced a new partnership with the Pecos league um, to put together a, um, a training camp from April 1st to 4th. And when I say training camp, it's, 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 it's going to be a pro style uh, workout um, with a, with a, um, a tryout component to it uh, because we will be drafting players from both the pioneer league and the Pecos league. Um, at the end of this uh, four-day camp, it's April 1st through 4th um, at the Chemos uh, Sports Complex in Tucson. And 
uh, in Tucson, Arizona, which is a fabulous, fabulous sports complex. And um, we will every every club in the Pioneer League and in the Pecos League will have um, representatives to scout players and to um, to analyze and assess their their capabilities. And at the end, as I say, we're going to draft um, every um, Pioneer League team is committed to drafting two at least two players, um, and then those players who don't get drafted to the Pioneer League will have access to be drafted by the Pecos League. And so consequently, there's never been a tryout camp quite like this where so many jobs are going to be available. So if you are a, uh, if you are a, uh, a, a, a prospective independent league player, um, please sign up for our, our, our camp because it's going to be um, a really great opportunity to be looked at by you know some of the top scouting professionals in the game, and and there are a lot of jobs available. So those are just some of the things that we're starting uh, 2022 off with. Um, there are many other things to come. We have announcements forthcoming with respect to um, new managers who are coming into the league who uh, are going it, it, to. It's going to be quite remarkable. I think this week we're supposed to announce. Um, a really amazing um, baseball man coming into the league as a manager. We are uh, going to be talking about some of our new rules that we're going to introduce this year, um, uh, including uh, what is one of my key um, priorities to um, a, a new rule that's going to help speed up the game and, and, and make it more interesting, not only for the, for the fans, but for the players as well. So, we're we're hitting a whole lot of different fronts, and yeah. that I haven't even started to address what goes on beyond 22. Where, as as I had mentioned before, by 2024, it's our hope to have 12 teams in the league, and and we are having conversations with a number of communities in our in our geographic footprint uh, about expansion opportunities. So, uh, I I can't be couldn't be more excited and uh, more enthused about where this league is all going. Yeah, it certainly sounds very exciting from just uh, the push to get everybody into baseball and then to try and help find uh, people looking to get into professional baseball uh, opportunities to play. is There is an awful lot going on there. And one thing that kind of came to my mind when you mentioned the digital focus is I've noticed that a lot of Pioneer teams are very active on social media, which is obviously a key component uh, in any sort of marketing or promotion in today's world. So I'm just kind of wondering... Uh, partially, is that just uh, a general push from the league to do that, or is that just kind of the teams uh, taking the initiative on their own and just going out there and doing a lot to kind of promote the brand itself and promote the league and their teams and everything that comes along with it? Well, like any other industry, I guess, there are uh, uh, um, uh, adapters and non-adapters, yeah. if that's the right way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, and some of our clubs are really engaged in uh, adapting to social media and um, others may be a little bit behind in the curve, but yeah. the league office has been um, uh, communicating with each of the clubs at, and, and talking about what a great high priority we have um, for, for um, communicating to our current and, and potential fan base. Um, it is one of the, we were talking about challenges earlier and, yeah. and the, maybe even the greatest challenge we and everyone else um, not only in minor league baseball, 
uh, in professional sports, in live event entertainment, for that matter, we're all suffering uh, from from uh, you know a change in demographics. Hmm. And you know, if you look at um, the baseball audience, they are older, they are whiter, and they are male, and that um, good old boy lockup has to be broken, and we have to start figuring out how to attract um, uh, younger and more diverse fan bases. And otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to go like the dinosaurs. Um, and so we are working really hard. To, again, as, the, as I was talking about trying to diversify just, just who's part of this league, let alone uh, creating a new digital platform that's going to allow us to communicate across, uh, you know, different distribution channels to broader audiences, um, we, we are um, engaged uh, with trying to bridge the, the gap between the, you know, a present that is um, uh, dying out, quite frankly, yeah. uh, you know, the, the baseball fan base is, mm. is so old, um, and, and, and trying to get to uh, those who are going to form the future of, of this industry. And, um, and uh, right now, they're not coming to games. Yeah. I, I think even from the major league level, there's a there's a recognition that um, we're not attracting younger and more diverse audiences, and as a result, um, you know, uh, uh, viewership ratings are down for all sports telecasts. Um, uh, attendance is again, with the exception of the Pioneer League, uh, attendance is down throughout sports, um, and you know, people just aren't coming. <laughs> Kids are not getting away from their um, their screens, you know, where most of their entertainment is taking place. Um, there's less likelihood of, of, of families wanting to get into the car and, and in many cases, you know, driving into cities where they don't necessarily feel safe and paying exorbitant amounts of money to park the car, to buy a ticket <clears throat> and to feed the family of four. It just it becomes too uh, big an investment. And so this is where places like the Pioneer League really have an opportunity to, to do something very special. And, and that is to uh, not only retain the affordability of coming to one of our games and not only to do our very best to assure the safety of our fans, but also to, to give them the best quality entertainment experience for the amount of money that, that they're investing and um, and that's why I think the future is so incredible for us, because we are looking, I think, at the right questions and trying to find answers. Absolutely. Once you have the vision, you know the task at hand, then you see the, the whole possibilities and how much road there is in front of you to just be able to. To just conquer and, and take over and and uh, certainly it appears that that is the way uh, the Pioneer League ha is working right now. They see the vision, they see the the goal, they know what needs to be done to get there. And I, I certainly am uh, very interested in, in following this league a lot more closely than uh, I had that we did last year. Obviously, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on here. But uh, one thing from last year that I, I do want to talk uh, talk about briefly, and you've been very generous with your time, so I only have one or two more questions left to get to. Uh, but uh, you guys introduced the, the home run derby as a method of tie breaking last year. Now, if in part 
barring any other rule changes, which I know you said they're going to be announced soon, uh, that still stands. So I was wondering just how uh, that was the, the decision that was made, how you came about uh, deciding that this is how we're going to try to end games before they go on a bit too long. Because as me and my co-hosts have discussed on this show before, uh, you just cannot have Tuesday night games go 13, 14 innings long. It's just not a feasible thing to do. And quite frankly, it, sometimes it's it's a bit too much baseball if there is a thing uh, when they go too long. Well, well, let me let me correct okay. one uh, one premise. It, it's not a home run derby. That yeah. is actually a uh, a trademarked okay. uh, a name that is owned by others. Yeah. Um, ours is called the knockout round. Okay. Um, uh, so, so just to, just so we have that clear, yeah. uh, so we try never to use the term okay. home run derby. Um, beyond that, uh, look, when I when I first took over uh, as president of this league a year ago, um, uh, one of my greatest concerns, and listen, in my in terms of my background, I I've spent most of my adult uh, life, well, either as a player, um, and I played in independent ball myself. Yeah. Um, but I, in my, I, I spent most of my career in Major League Baseball having worked for the Giants and the Braves and the Nationals and the Orioles. Um, and ha- but, but I also own um, an independent league team. And, and I have um, just such a love affair with independent ball because I, for a lot of different reasons, um, it is, to me, uh, if you love the game of baseball, independent league ball is the heart and soul of the game and we could talk about that for hours yeah but one of my one of my biggest issues uh having been an owner and when i got the opportunity to become president of this league i wanted to address my concern that um on a number of different levels uh extra innings make no sense whatsoever and 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 we can talk about some of those things yeah um number one uh just economically um, if you're a, a minor league club operator, uh, by the seventh inning, pretty much, you're done generating revenue. You probably cut off beer sales. Everybody by then has already had their full of hot, do- hot dogs and pretzels and cotton candy. Um, you've already probably sold the t-shirts that you're going to sell. So, but from after the seventh inning, you still have to staff the ballpark. But you're getting no revenue. And so from just a pure economic level, getting the game over as quickly as possible is, is in everyone's best interest. Um, fans generally start leaving by the seventh inning. They, you, you only have a small portion of, of your attendance still left by uh, the ninth inning. Um, so there's very few people still really engaged in the game. Minor leagues, look, who really cares about when winning or losing they just come out for a great time and so whoever wins the game is a secondary um, uh, reason for coming to the game um and and then there's the issue of foul balls i mean you know a a baseball costs five dollars and in the extra innings you start this first of all there's no fans to to really to catch them and in a lot of our ballparks foul balls go out to you know beyond the ballpark and out to the street we're our, our operators are losing a lot of money uh, uh, when there there is no revenue associated with. So so just on an economic level, extra innings make no sense. Um, from a player level, 
especially, you know, at, at the major league level, listen, if you get a player who, who, who gets, you know, worn out, uh, you played a few extra innings, uh, during that week and you got some tired players and, and you got somebody with, you know, uh, a shoulder barking on them or something. Hey, you always can call up somebody from the minor leagues and give that player, uh, you know, a blow and, 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 uh, uh, and it's, and, or you can just put somebody on, you know, the DL and, and, and for, you know, for seven days, they get a rest. Um, you can't do that in, in the minor league, in the independent minor leagues. You, you haven't got anybody else to call up. You've got to go find a player who you may have to pay for them to take a plane from Florida or something, but it's not going to, and it's probably not going to happen by the next game because if you're playing an extra inning game, you know, the chances of them getting on a plane that night are pretty slim. So, so just, and so you're wearing out players unnecessarily and you're not being able to replace them very inexpensively and very quickly. So you're putting these kids at a lot of risk for physical injury by putting additional strain on their bodies. And lastly, I would say from a fan perspective, who cares, right? Those fans are gone. They don't care about extra innings. Um, And, and now we've given them a reason to care. Yeah. Uh, And having been through the league, uh, after we've adopted this 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 rule, um, fans by the seventh inning, if the game is tied, you hear a buzz. Yeah. You hear people saying, "Well, wait, we might get a knockout. Let's let's wait and see if the score stays tied." And th- there's the hope that the investment of time is going to be worth it because the knockout is so cool, and it's almost like uh, witnessing a walk off. It's that same air of excitement. So we've, we've given, um, we've given our owners uh, a break on their costs. We've given the players a break on their, on the wear and tear on their bodies. And we've given our fans something new to, to root for. Uh, what could be better than that? Everything you said there was everything I've been saying about these long inning games at the affiliate or independent level, rather, for, since we started this show, I just feel, I feel like we're on the same page with this because I've said the same thing where the seventh inning is kind of like the unofficial cutoff for sales on everything. It's almost yeah. like when the beer tap gets turned off, everything else gets turned off with it almost. Yeah. And talking about how the increased risk of injury too. And I re- I really do imagine it's, it's tougher for the Pioneer League as opposed to a Frontier Atlantic or uh, American Association where their player requirements are a little bit different. Plus, just on a time zone level, I mean, when you guys are at a at ten o'clock in the eleventh inning, it's twelve o'clock in Florida, where a lot of players are going to be here just from across. So it, it's really it, comes it's down. one o'clock. It, yeah. It's actually one o'clock. Oh, okay. I thought it was Mountain Time. They're on Mountain Time. Okay. I mean, it's, yeah. it's 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 even worse. Listen, yeah. that's all true. There were two other rules, and and I'm, I'm I, I hate to eat up yeah. too much time on this, but yeah. um. There were two other rules that we enacted last year that didn't get as much attention that I think are as um, integral to the game and as entertaining and intriguing. And that is the designated pinch hitter and the designated pinch runner. And, 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 and those rules allow a manager some additional uh, strategic tools. Now, again, 
baseball's going the way everybody's got a designated hitter, which of course, uh, any purist of the game will tell you, it takes some strategy away from managing. And I was looking for a way to put strategy back into managing. And so we created the idea that once a game, a manager can take out a player for a pinch hitter or uh, for a pinch runner and then bring that player back into the game once a game. So the manager has to make a decision when to employ uh, this this asset. And uh, ordinarily, let's just take the example of it's the eighth inning and you've got your uh, slow-footed catcher uh, getting a base hit and it's a tight game. Uh, you can take him out and put a pinch runner in for him at one time and then bring him back in to catch. And the same thing with your you know, again, I'm stereotyping, but but the, for your light hitting shortstop who uh, is coming up in a critical situation in the game, and you don't want to take him out for defensive reasons, but you could use a bat um, in that spot. One time a game, you can take that player out of the game and then bring him back in defensively. And I think that was absolutely incredible uh, in terms of adding more um, tools for the manager to play with to, for, for his strategic operating of a game. And those are the kinds of things that I'm excited about. I, I, you know, I, I love tinkering because listen, I'm as big a purist of the game as anyone, but there were, there are things about the game that no longer make any sense. And I'll give you an example. When I was, it was 2015 and 2016 when I was running my own club in here in Northern California. Yeah. And um, I, I have uh, this good friend, Eric Burns, who, as you may know, played yeah. uh, for many years for the A's and, and the Diamondbacks. He's been on MLB Network. And Eric and I were having over a beer, having a conversation about, um, you know, how terrible the umpiring is yeah. and how, okay, well, baseball's tried to address that by, um, by replay, yeah. but they're addressing the wrong problem. The biggest problem with umpires, at least in my opinion, yeah. is they're, they, they don't call consistent balls and strikes. Yeah. And every umpire, you know, uh, oh, he's got a wide strike zone. Uh, he's a pitcher's umpire. Well, there's a strike zone, and yeah. there should be only one strike zone. And every umpire shouldn't have the discretion to interpret his own strike zone. And so we, Eric and I, came up with uh, automated balls and strikes. We had a, uh, a, a computer firm yeah. help set up a triangulation system, whatever the hell it was, and we, we had automated balls and strikes. Well, now the Atlantic League tried it last year. Yeah. I, I strongly believe it's going to become part of the future of baseball. Um, I would like to reinstitute. It's expensive. The equipment is expensive. But that's the kind of thing I really love about being part of this game and, and have the opportunity to do as president of the Pioneer League, and that is to find the ways to address some of the inconsistencies of the game, to help um, make the game more fun for more people, and to, to keep the sustainability and viability of owning a club, particularly in the Pioneer League, um, a, a worthwhile investment. And, and some of these new rules that I'm completely open to and interested in 
are, are, are all intended to address those key questions. I, I 100% agree. I've been very much on the bandwagon of if you're going to make changes, then don't do like little gentle minor changes that really won't have much of an effect. Let's let's try new things. Let's get a little out there with it. And it certainly and I mean, I'm I'm a National League fan. I like a pitcher hitting. I understand all the, the downsides with it, the practical downside of it. But it still adds enjoyment to the game it has that strategy to it and a lot of the rules like you mentioned with the designated pinch runner and pinch hitter certainly re-added that in and uh i i'm very interested to see what new things get added into the pioneer league and uh if we do have just a little bit of time left i do want to just briefly talk about that uh, team in northern california if i'm not mistaken in the pacific association the pacifics themselves san rafael mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of Talk a little bit about that experience owning that team because the Pacific Association was a league that when I stumbled across, I was like, oh, this is this is a very interesting little league. And it was kind of fun to watch for a little bit. So, yeah, well, it was one of the uh, for someone who spent their entire life in the game. Yeah. It was probably the most fun I ever had. And it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Um, I I look upon the seven years that we had the uh, Pacifics and the, and the, and the Pacific association as maybe the, um, the crowning achievement of my career. I, I so loved, um, what we did for folks in the community. You know, we became a true part of the fabric of the local community. We did fundraisers, of course, and hospital visits, of course, but also I learned more about the game than I had in, you know, the other, 40 years of my career in major league baseball, I learned what the heart and soul of baseball is all about. And that is giving people a, a good time and, and giving them a, a reason to come out to a game uh, when they have so many other things to do uh, here in Northern California. Uh, we're just North of the golden gate bridge in San Francisco. This is a very affluent community and there are many, many entertainment options. Yeah. Um, we had to give people a reason to come to a Pacifics game. And, you know, we, we, we came up with uh, some, some wacky, crazy, amazing things that um, allowed me to be as creative as I wanted to be within at least the bounds of what my life, my wife would allow me to do. Um, And, and again, and, and, and and listen, we gave a lot of kids um, their first job in, in professional sports um, many of whom are now working in major leagues, and I, uh, I I couldn't be prouder of everything we did. And I'm only sorry that the league didn't uh, continue on. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that the Pacifics are part of the Pecos League. Um, I think it's good that that um, there's still professional baseball here, but it's 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 not what it was. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. I mean, different isn't always bad. It's just different, and it's it, just different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, yeah, that it, it sounds like an incredible uh, journey having that team. And uh, I do want to thank you for taking the time today to, to speak with us. And as I do on this show, uh, whenever we have a guest on, uh, I like to give them some time at the end of the end of the interview to talk about anything they want to talk about. Maybe revisit something that we moved on too quickly from, uh, anything that came to mind, or something that we missed, or anything to promote. Anything that uh, you want to say that we haven't said to this point. Uh, uh, now is the time to do so. Well, I know we, we covered a lot of territory, but I, I, you know, I would conclude by, by maybe revisiting the, the idea of 
of why I do this yeah. for a living and why I've done it as both a passion, a, a vocation and, and an avocation, um, it, you know, since I was a child. And um, it's because uh, the game is so wonderful yeah. and it's wonderful to be a part of. And I, I am only sorry to see um, some of the things that have happened in the industry and in the game that has um, allowed it to become less a part of people's lives, of more people's lives. Um, I'm, I'm really saddened by this demographic change that it, it just breaks my heart yeah. to, to know that there's a whole generation of kids who don't really care about baseball and who don't appreciate the value of the game, either playing it or attending uh, or reading about it. Um, that breaks my heart. And everything I have tried to do, the Pacifics particularly, but what I'm doing with the Pioneer League now, um, what I've tried to do with the major league clubs, although you have less less opportunity to do much on that scale. Yeah. But everything I've done so far is, is to try to make the game um, uh, important and viable and, and, and desirable. Um, and I hope that going forward, um, you know, for, for as long as I do the – this job with the Pioneer League or other things I might do going forward, that um, that it's all about trying to get more people to love baseball the way I have my entire life. And I think, you know, it's 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 a worthy endeavor to try to uh, resuscitate the game, um, and 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 hopefully some of the things that we're doing is going to help uh, alleviate that problem. Hopefully so. I, hopefully there's more people such as myself that, you know, fell in love with the game a little bit later on. I mean, I'm, I'm not very old myself. I'm only 24. So uh, hopefully there's more like me coming where uh, they they find the game in their, you know, mid-teens, later teens, and they fall in love with it. And hopefully the Pioneer League can be the, the catalyst that does that. So, again, I thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. I, I really do truly appreciate it. Uh, it was my pleasure. Anytime you want to sit around and talk baseball, just give me a call. All right, so we thank Mike for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate him taking the time to talk to us, or talk to me, rather, for about an hour. And definitely was appreciated. Definitely appreciate the time there. And also, thanks to Rachel Blackman for helping set this up as well. Uh, she reached out saying, or asking, rather, if we'd be interested in it, and then was very, very attentive to getting this all squared away and very helpful in that. So certainly appreciate the effort on the whole Pioneer League front to make this happen. So hope you guys enjoyed that uh, that interview and the little bit of Pioneer League talk before it. It seems more and more like we're going to actually have to cover the Pioneer League this year. So Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah. I, I think there's definitely a lot of interest in it. And you know what? If that's what the people want, the people get it. Exactly. It's going to work us to death even more because we got like another 10 or so teams that we're going to have to cover, but uh, we'll make it happen. We'll make it work. And uh, at the end of the day, that's our goal. That's our job. Make it work. So That's uh, right. Another thing that's starting to work and making a lot of progress is Staten Island. Yeah, the Ferry Hawks. Uh, they, they made a big signing. They signed a lot of people the other day. And by that, I mean... They signed a lot of people. They signed every little leaguer on Staten Island. Uh, that may sound extremely confusing to most because, you know, what the hell does that even mean? How do you sign, uh, you know, 
10-year-olds to contracts. And that's very simple. Uh, they essentially, if I'm reading their release correctly, uh, they if when you go to sign up for your little league team, they give you a contract, which basically is uh, they give you a single emission ticket to any game that's not, I want to say, opening day. Your little leagues like kind of takeover day. They're doing little league takeover days where each little league team gets a slew of tickets to go to the ballpark and celebrate everything. And I want to say, hey, 4th of July was the other exemption. I don't have that in my notes in front of me at the moment, but. Uh, with the exception of those three, you can use that single emission ticket to, to any game. And then it says a chance to play for the team if they eventually become professional ball players in the future. Uh, which, I mean, that's just more or less a throwaway line there. But the real point of this isn't, you know, giving kids stuff or signing kids to pro contracts. The real point of it is just to engage all the local little leagues. And I certainly think it does that very effectively. Yeah, it's... The wording is interesting, right? Uh, as far as signing all the little leaguers uh, on Staten Island, the, at the end of the day, what what people need to know is they're they're really trying to engage uh, with the little leaguers in the Staten Island community. Something that the the Yankees, as an affiliated team, just simply did not do, and yeah. that is the that is the really important thing here. Uh, now, as far as some of the other things, like a chance to play with the team if if they turn pro, I, I don't really know how to go into that. And I think that's probably, like as you said, just uh, a throwaway line. However, it's a great idea to get uh, to to get a, a to give all these players tickets uh, and to ha- and to give them a chance. Uh, to really ex- experience the Fairy Hawks in their first season as the, as an Atlantic League team, um, it's really just trying to get out into the community. Again, it's all about trying to really reach out into the Staten Island community, and it's felt pretty dejected uh, based on how the Yankees and whoever were tra- and, and the Yankees and that ownership group were treating them over the last few uh, over the last uh, you know five years or so. So. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really important to try and get out into that community and try and bring because those little leaguers bringing them to the park that's a big market that you want to draw that you try want to try to draw into because I mean you have not only you're talking to kids somebody's got to drive the kids that's going to be the parents the parents are not the parents are going to have to pay for tickets the parents are going to have to pay for parking the parents are going to have to pay for for food so there's certainly ways you're making money here uh, that that um, that go beyond just giving the the little leaguers. Uh, free tickets so um i i think it's a really good idea and it's a really good way for them to try and get into to work into the staten island community and tap into a market that really any indie ball market uh needs needs to have uh, in order to be successful and starting out uh that's i think staten island knows that yeah absolutely you basically said everything i wanted to say well i mean it's all about uh getting people to the ballpark this is a great way of getting people to the ballpark and starting with the younger you know little leaguers you're already dealing with people that like baseball that want to play baseball that are interested in baseball and presumably most if not all the family is interested in baseball if their kids in little league and so if that's the case that it's not too far of a stretch to get them to a local minor league game for a night out and you know have them enjoy everything and so it is a very effective way there and it's kind of a twofold type thing you know it starts the first time when they're a kid and they're first in little league and everything 
and they want to go to the ballpark and enjoy the night out and everything like that. And then it also comes into play, you know, four or five years later when they're just kind of in high school and they're beating around with their friends and they don't really know what to do. And then they're like, oh, well, why don't we just go to a baseball game? You have positive memories from that. So you're going to want to experience that a lot more. So that's something else you can do. It's a possibility. It's a cheap option, you know, for a night where you don't feel like going too far, but you need to do something and you don't know what you really want to do. It's a great kind of, hey, why don't we just go do this? It's a pretty affordable fun thing to do so it definitely helps on multiple fronts i definitely think it's a good idea and i mean at the end of the day it seems pretty harmless at worst and extremely engaging at best so it seems like the perfect kind of thing to undertake there's not a lot of risk in this um and it's, it's just a good way to really for for the fairy hawks to try and get into the community which is the really important part is them as they are trying to establish themselves without that yankee branding without that yankee name yep absolutely there but you know it does have a name you know it does have a branding to it oh boy team kentucky it's does that, it's that time it's that time I'm taking it you do not like the new team name for team kentucky that was unveiled the other day yeah, I don't, I don't, I think you could, that's one way you can classify it. And I suppose we should unveil this and get into it. So we've, we got the name of the Kentucky team, as you could probably discern from the last uh, 30 seconds of conversation. And they will be called the Wild Health Genomes. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a very weird name. And that's because it's kind of a corporate name. And by kind, I mean, Wild Health is a corporate name. Also, the ballpark's now Wild Health Ballpark. That's just kind of, shift in naming rights so i wouldn't pay much mind to that uh but yeah genomes i assume there was a mixture of the corporation and the team got to decide that name and i mean as far as like a health company goes genomes pretty good you know i think it could have been a lot worse certainly uh the jerseys and whatnot are out which very much looks like uh they took the miami marlins homework and just kind of changed it up a little bit and ran with that which i don't hate i think the blue jerseys are pretty nice um the black jerseys are very nice uh the one with the gradient would be great without the gradient uh but the gradient really does kind of kill it but as far as the name goes yeah admittedly they're they're left something on the table but that said if it's a one-year team I don't hate going with a corporate name to help keep costs down so you could keep the operation afloat and keep it running. But uh, yeah, if it's a multi-year thing, I would like to see a name change at the end of the year. I'm usually not a... I, I usually don't really care about... Uh, put it, For example, ads on jerseys. Don't really care. Um, whatever you want to do as far as like... Well, like any rent... Like normal baseball term presented by blank. Uh <laughs> That's all. That's all fine to me. I don't. I don't like the names. I don't like messing with the names. And I understand that. Look, Andy Shea is extremely forward thinking, and so I can go back to this in ten years. And when every team is has a corporate sponsor in the in the beginning, uh, then it's going to be really dumb. Uh, then I'm going to sound really dumb. But you know what? That at least how I feel right now. As far as the genomes. It's interesting. Uh, honestly, not one that I would, not a name I would have ever thought of. Uh, I just don't like the corporate sponsor in place for the team name. I would have rather had the Kentucky 
blank. So if you want to do the genomes, the Kentucky genomes or something else genomes, that, that's like actually like a location, a city, because that's what's iconic like about these. Um, and that's what people like know about these, about these markets because they have a city or they have a state attached to them, not wild health. Right. I, 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 you can sponsor whatever you want. I don't like spot. I don't like sponsoring the legitimate, the actual team names themselves. That's what I don't, that's why I think it goes a little too far. And that's why I'm not really a big fan of Lexington playing against wild health. Like that, that just sounds weird. Like you're getting wild health is now traveling up to long Island. Like, what are we doing? Come on. Like, hey, I, think that's, I think it's stretching a little far. I would just say, yeah. just be like, oh, the genomes are going up to Long Island. Uh, the but genomes it's so are- natural. It's so natural to say what like is in place for the location, you know? I, I see what you're saying, but this, I feel like this probably could have been like uh, prevented. Like your qualm could have been, you know, alleviated if they would have just said Wild Health presents Genomes Baseball Club, something like that. Sure, that that would have been fine. Like, if, it doesn't really practically change anything. The brand name is still there. Everything's still really intact. You just toss the word presented in between the two uh, the two lines and then toss baseball club at the end, you know? Could have called them the Kentucky Baseball Club. Now, that that's a winner right there. That is a, listen, as a guy who wanted the Washington football team to keep their name, uh, I don't have I, – uh, I don't have a – I would not have had a problem with that. We're not even going to get on that. I don't want to get that annoyed. I'm already going to get annoyed if the DH comes up. So I'm not going to even. We're not going to. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to save the arguing and the fighting for later. So that's a good idea. We'll save that for later. We still have topics to get through. But uh, yeah, overall, I, like I'm fine with it because it's a one year thing. But I would totally agree with you if it was a multi year thing, then I would not be. Uh, quite on board with this but uh did you see the jersey concept though yeah yeah i i don't i don't i don't mind it uh but i just don't i like honestly do whatever you want with the jerseys the name is uh i just don't like messing with the name fair enough but you know what you don't have to worry about messing with the name in the frontier league because wow, what what a what a great transition there. I know. I know. I'm good at this. It's like I'm a semi-professional or something. Uh but, <laughs> but the, why do you do this? Because it's my show and I can. Uh <laughs> all gas, no brakes. But the uh <laughs> the traveling team in the Frontier League for twenty twenty two is no longer the Frontier Grays. They are the Empire State Grays. They will be ran and operated and owned. Two of those words meant the same thing. It was totally redundant, but we're going to keep going by the by the Empire League, and uh, they're going to have the same role, same salary cap, uh, same everything as everybody else. Training camp is going to be in Tupper Lake, New York. Uh, you want any more details about joining the team or the schedule, anything like that? We have a link to their website in the show notes. Check that out. But I gotta say, this logo. I love this logo. It's honestly a great logo. I love it on so many levels. And even like the secondary, which I assume is going to be the cap logo, that's just the G with the like Statue of Liberty hand holding the torch coming out of it, is just so perfect. Everything about this logo I love. Huge fan of the logo. 
Yeah. Huge, huge fan of the logo. I, it's a creative way to bring in a traveling team, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I really like this. I think that I like changing the name instead of the Frontier Grays, uh, the Empire State Grays, because again, I just like having a location or something like that, especially if they're based out of Tupper Lake, New York. Time to plug my favorite name in all of independent league baseball, the Tupper Lake River Pigs. That is a solid name. I can't deny that. It is a solid name. It, it is really good. That is my favorite name. It is It is awesome. And their stadium is so great. It, it literally, it, I, I love their stadium, too, uh, in the uh, uh, up in the Empire League. So I, I, I am a big fan of, of Tupper Lake in general. So when you combine a really good logo with a good name and Tupper Lake, you, you, you get my support. I just hope that eventually they do one day where they change the names of the Tupper Lake uh, Rubbermaids or something like that. Because it's just Tupperware, just just sitting right there. You but, just wanted to make a pun. Yes, I wanted to make a pun. I kind of forced it. It wasn't great. But uh, we're going to move on from that. <laughs> overall, overall, though, I do like this decision. It's going to save the league some money to just have the Empire League just do it. Uh, there's already connections there between the two leagues. Definitely, yeah. I, overall, and plus the traveling team. We go through this every year that there's a traveling team. Expectations are low on purpose. We don't expect them to do awfully well. If they do, great. If they don't, fine too. And uh, overall, though, I do think it's a very, a very solid decision. I think it's a good decision and one that ultimately is a positive for both. The Empire League gets to, you know, show off a little bit more. They get to help their branding out a bit. And I'm sure they'll have a lot of Empire League guys on this team. And if they need a quick replacement, I'm sure it's just a phone call away to get some Empire League guys to the Empire right. State Grays, which mm-hmm. is also a huge plus and alleviates a major concern there. And uh, obviously for the Frontier League, probably saves them a little bit of cash or at the very least saves them the headache of having to run a team for a full year. And uh, yeah, overall, I think it's a, a pretty good decision. I, I definitely exactly. like it. Exactly. So on that front, we have one last news story to get to this week, and that is a bit of an all-star game leak. It's been out for a couple of months, but I never really thought much of it because I remember seeing it a couple months back, and I was just like, oh, I guess they never really updated this. And that could still very well be the case. But I think at this point, if you're leaving this graphic up on the Chicago Dogs website, that includes all-star game as one of the many perks for being a... uh, a season ticket holder or a partial plan holder, any sort of ticket plan holder, really, uh, I kind of assume that you are getting the all-star game. And that's really what this comes down to. You'll notice in our show notes, there'll be a link to a graphic that is up on the dog's website that includes all your perks of having a ticket plan. All-star game is listed on it. I assume that means that they're going to get the all-star game. Uh, kind of a positive here because obviously now we know the name and the location of the All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend. And uh, yeah, there's not too, too much else to add outside of just discussion on the All-Star Game as a whole. Right. I think that one, good to see All-Star Games back yeah, in general. Definitely. Uh, bit, big fan of that. So that, that's all already just a plus off the bat. Uh, and Chicago is a great it's a great location for an all star game, right? You, yeah. you have a, a, an awesome ballpark. Uh, again, it's in a, it's in a it's in a big city. You can draw a big crowd. Uh, it's a it's a team that uh, it's a, been a successful indie ball team. I I can imagine I will imagine that they that they'll draw pretty well for this game. 
Um, so I, I think it's, it's a, it's a really, I like the location. I like the decision. Uh, and I think it's a good, it's a good spot for the all-star game, but most importantly, indie ball all-star games are back, which is really fun and really good. Exactly. And they, they're always kind of a toss as to how it's going to draw. You never know if it's going to draw really well. You never know if it's going to draw really poorly because I mean, to locals, it's just, it's kind of just another game, but obviously for folks like us, we're very interested because you get to see the best of the best, you know, play all in one game there so definitely happy to have it back i agree chicago's one of the few cities that i think could probably host it and do a good job because of that larger population base around there and obviously like you mentioned it's a, it's a nice park it's a newer park as well so that's certainly uh positive there uh happy to see it back as well and hopefully it'll do well and hopefully we'll get a formal announcement soon and hopefully it will be chicago because i could just imagine how much uh or what it would look like if after all of this it's like oh by the <laughs> way all-star game going to sioux falls be like okay, yeah that would be quite disappointing it would be like honestly if they were to move it to like lake country or like uh milwaukee or something i think it would be fine i think you could probably just copy and paste a lot of what we said here because there is population bases around there you know just outside of milwaukee obviously is where franklin is and there is population there. The newer ballparks, a lot of the same stuff applies, but Chicago just seems like a natural fit. So that's a plus. For sure. Yep. Especially for the return of the All-Star game, you know? Oh, definitely. Definitely there. Um, plus, uh, you know what I'm really happy about? Because we've had all these tech issues over the last few weeks. That after about five minutes in, I started running one of those backup recordings. I'm really happy I did that. Yeah. Good decision. Yeah. That, that's called thinking ahead. Now, obviously, we also have to just address one thing quickly. I know a lot of people were expecting there to be the Hall of Fame section here where we put people into the Hall of Fame, you know, discuss possibilities for names to be on a ballot and then maybe either put out a ballot or go from there. Uh, making, we kind of made the executive decision last night and then reaffirmed it today when we recorded this, uh, to push that off for one week, namely because as I'm looking at this before I even really get into the nuts and bolts of editing, we're looking at about a 90 minute long show. So to really do a proper Hall of Fame discussion would probably be another 30 minutes on top of then whatever the, uh, kind of outro discussion would be. So we're looking there at, at least at least bare minimum two hours and i just don't think that really helps anybody to have a two hour long show and i'd rather make it the focal point of uh, a whole episode so we're going to push that off to next week hopefully there won't be too too much news so we could really give it a lot of focus but uh, we'll make it work next week and uh, yeah so if you were waiting around for that i apologize that you had to wait this long to find that out but it just seems like the right decision to make yeah agreed just to just to really give it uh give it its justice because uh it, it is exciting and i really and i really don't want to uh i don't want to put it on our like you know the hour two of a, a two hour of a big two hour show so i uh, really to do it justice i think good i think we could just do it next week and uh and you know, it, it, it's, it's really going to be exciting to, to put together that, that class and really bring it to you guys and see what everyone thinks. Absolutely. Definitely agree all the way there. So that kind of brings us to the end of this week's show. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. We had a pretty good interview in there. We had a lot of news jam-packed in there. And honestly, the news on its own could probably stand as its own episode if we really wanted to get down to it. But uh, it, it really was, a, I think, a pretty solid and successful week. For sure. 
Yeah. So we'll get to these plugs. We'll get to our post discussion here and then we'll get out of dodge if you want to follow the show you can do so on twitter at indie ball pod you can do so on instagram at alpb underscore news and at indie ball report you can find the links to everything we mentioned in the show notes as well as every single episode all 153 plus bonus episodes on the website indieballreport.com also all the social media posts we put up we put them up in an article form on the website there as well so be sure to check out all of that uh, when you go to the website and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts if possible. Uh, all of that said, now we do have stuff to add. There's two things really because I know we're going to have a discussion on this DH, which just kind of kills me a little bit to talk about the DH. But before we get to that, traditionally before the Super Bowl, we do talk about the Super Bowl because, you know, it's bigger than life. So. I do want to start with that, and then we'll transition to the DH shortly thereafter. So, quickly yeah. on the Super Bowl thoughts. Uh, really exciting Super Bowl. Really good. Really good matchup. The uh, Rams Bengals. It's in, it's also just I like the a- extra wrench thrown into it that the Rams are playing at their home stadium. Yeah. Um, I think you have an argument for either team. It is it, it is really a matchup that I'm excited for because you have a team like the Rams who's so talented and uh, in all sides of the, on all sides of the ball. And I think most importantly, you have two likable teams yeah. on either side, really. And that, that I like that a lot um, that you have. So no matter who wins, I I'm, I'm all good with it. That being said, um, I'm going to have, I'm as far are we doing, should I do predictions right now? Yeah, sure. Go for it. All right. I got the Bengals by six. Um, as far I think the Bengals defense at times I think they can lock down when they need to uh, and Joe Burrow continues to play the way he has the the entire postseason um, I think that it, I, I like the matchup against the Rams now if they can they can now my concern of course is protecting him just because yeah. um, the his the Bengals offensive line is not good uh, they're going to have to contain the, the defensive line of, of Aaron Donald and uh, and Von Miller and of course linebackers like Leonard Floyd but I I, I want to put my trust in Joe Burrow because I want to see this happen I think Cincinnati deserves it so I'm going to pick the Bengals by six see I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. They are likable teams. I like that we finally have some different teams in the Super Bowl, too, not the whoever Tom Brady's playing versus whomever, or as of recent, the Chiefs versus whomever. I do like to see that bit of diversity in the Super Bowl. It certainly is nice to see. There's also newer faces there. Plus, there's really, like, good storylines on either side. Either you have the Bengals that are, you know, a historically not very successful team, kind of plunky underdogs that kind of put everything together. They're a young, exciting core, and they come up, they win a Super Bowl, and they maybe are now a challenging team in the AFC. On the flip side with the Rams, you have a team that, you know, like a lot of fans like to see, said, we're going all in, we're putting all our chips in the middle of the table, and this alone already kind of encourages more teams, I think, to just kind of say, screw the future, let's try to win now. Sports is about trying to win. And if they win a Super Bowl, that really kind of reinforces that, hey, you can go chips in and still win. And if you win a Super Bowl, it kind of forgives all sins, right? Winning's like the best cure to everything. Because if you win, then it justifies those decisions, even if they weren't the best decisions. That said, too, I mean, obviously you have... 
uh, Whitworth on the offensive line. It's been around for forever. To see him get a Super Bowl would be cool. Uh, Matt Stafford, after suffering in Detroit since, you know, 0-16, it definitely, it would be nice to see him finally go win a Super Bowl. There's, that's a guy that deserves to win a Super Bowl after, you know, Lions for however many years. So both sides are great. I, I really wouldn't be upset with either way it goes. That said, I can't, I'm going Rams by like four. I'm thinking Rams by four because I think it's going to be real close. And Matt Stafford showed that he can lead a winning, a game winning drive. I think that Bengal O line just isn't good enough to defend, you know, the best pass rusher of his generation, Aaron Donald, plus friends. It's just going to be too much. And unlike the Titans, Sean McVay knows how to call a game. And I got to imagine that Aaron Donald and company are going to get to Joe Burrow an awful lot. They're going to put him on the ground. And with a better quarterback that, I mean, Matt Stafford's better than Ryan Tannehill. I got to imagine and just having been there before, because keep in mind, the Rams were there not too long ago. They're not going to mess this up. It's still going to be a close game. I think it's still going to be a very fun game, a competitive game. And really, that's all you're really you're hoping for you're hoping for a nice close competitive game that stays in contention into the fourth quarter and i think we're going to get that so ultimately i mean i think it's shaping up to be a good super bowl yeah no it's, it's gonna be a really good super bowl i'm excited for it i think there's an argument for either side and like i said it's a likable team so i don't really care who wins all right perfect so do i want to touch on the dh now or do we not want to touch on the dh now i'll leave that up to you Hmm. I don't know. Huh. How about this? How about we do this type of deal? Okay. We leave it for now. At some point, we're either going to have another interview to do, or we're going to be recording another episode. You know, that's kind of a given at this stage. We'll spin it off. We'll make it its own bonus episode, because we haven't done one of those in about, actually, just under a year now. Last one was in March. Okay. So we'll spin it off because I have a whole tangent on it that's just more than the DH, and that's going to be at least a 15-minute rant. So I don't really want to toss that into the extra. That's fair. That's fair. You're right. So you'll get a, a DH spin-off bonus episode for that rant. But uh, right now, we've gone on for nearly two hours, even though we said we are going to try to avoid that. Uh, so I suppose we should leave it off with this as we always do until next week don't forget to play ball